Hello, and welcome to the Irish Left Archive podcast. In this episode, we talk to Adrienne Wallace. Adrienne is an activist and local councillor for People Before Profit. She's been active with PPP since the early 2010s and is the party organiser for the South East. She was elected to Carlow County Council in 2019. She also stood as a Dáil candidate in the 2015 Carlow Kilkenny by-election and subsequent general elections, and in the South constituency for the 2019 European Parliament election. We discuss how Adrienne came to political activism and joined People Before Profit, the campaign to repeal the Eighth Amendment and water charges campaign, her experience as a local councillor, and her views on activism and electoralism, and maintaining a radical anti-capitalist perspective. Thanks to everyone who's been listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, we welcome feedback, and if you'd like to get in touch, you'll find a contact form on the website at leftarchive.ie. You can email contact at leftarchive.ie, or find us on Twitter at ieleftarchive. So thanks again to Adrian for talking to us, and thank you for listening. First, thanks very much, uh, Adrian, for, for talking to us today. Um, to get started, maybe you can tell us a bit about your earliest sort of political experiences and what led you into political engagement. Um, well, thanks very much for having me, guys. It's great to be here. I suppose um, it, the short answer of that would be the water charges. I mean, it, it really was the kind of straw that broke the, the camel's back. And I just came out of college and it was quite idealistic and had learned there that, you know, capitalism really was a system of woes and, and Marx was fairly on point with a lot of his ideas so you know that laid the foundation and then kind of came the water charges and it was just sheer frustration um I remember then there was a very big movement in Carlo thousands out on the streets and I went to a meeting in a local hotel and the room was absolutely packed and it was electric and it was the first time I suppose I was in my 20s and it was the first time kind of feeling that sense of people power and it was addictive almost you're like oh I've been missing this my whole life but I hadn't quite been able to identify it um and so from there then there was a few of us brought together and people for profit was very very new it was just an idea at that point um and we we started to do a branch and it, it kind of developed from there um uh, we kept at it. I mean, there was highs and lows. I mean, you're starting a left-wing political party in conservative Ireland, and particularly kind of Carlow is it, look, an urban town, but it's in a rural setting. Yeah. You know? So um, there was times when it might just be three of us sitting around the table. Uh, now, I mean, we have a very busy, very active branch with lots of students, people who are retired, you know, but we had to kind of stay the course and uh, keep our faith as well, I think, in a lot of it. But even if you want to trace back kind of longer, I do think... Um, growing up as well I, I would have been from I'm, I'm a blow into Carla so I was from a town in County Cork and uh, oh. at one point had like the, the highest um, level of, of suicide particularly for young men young working class men like like it was a phenomenon like I mean there was loads of studies done you know people just couldn't understand what was going on and I suppose so you would have seen like your, your friends or friends of friends kind of committing suicide and it's still an epidemic I think particularly around young men in, in kind of working class communities mm-hmm. and so we grew up with that but we also kind of grew up really with I mean there was no investment in the area um, and then kind of coming up with the leave insert like I mean I didn't bother I didn't you know, it was only then when I kind of moved into the city and I met kind of people outside of my my local circle that I was like, oh, they all did really good and they tried. And I, I kind of started to realize this was a bit concerned. I got the message from a very young age, coming from a working class background that, you know, I didn't matter, that I wasn't meant to achieve. like. And so it was kind of broadening my circle a bit and seeing, you know, meeting other people from different backgrounds and then getting really pissed off about this mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the state of affairs. And then it was going to college. So, and as I kind of said earlier, you know, 
having the space to think about the big issues facing society and kind of having, I suppose, the language to identify capitalism as um, the source of a huge amount of pain and frustration in, in current society. So that's that's the short and long answer for you there. Did, did your parents have uh, an interest in politics or do they? It's so it's very interesting, actually. So, 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 so mom, okay. Mom didn't really let like political talk in, in, in the house to a degree mm. because she was afraid we'd all join Sinn Féin and, you know what I mean, join the armed uprising from her. She came from kind of a, a background of kind of wealthy landowners. Mm. And she actually, when she married my father, who's a kind of working class man, local there, but was working in inner city Dublin. I mean, it was actually, I mean, eyebrows were raised. Like she was considered to kind of have married a little bit kind of below her standing. Um, and that for me, actually growing up with that, I think it actually gave me an awareness of, of a class consciousness yeah. and quite the language to vocalise. It did recognise there's, you know, a middle and an upper and a working class. And um, but so what we did have, though, was mom was definitely a feminist. She still is. I mean, in the 80s, she got married in a blue dress, red shoes and, and kept her surname, which is the norm yeah. now, but quite radical at the day, and particularly coming from her background. And mm. always, I always remember her, uh, you know, in a room calling out sexist behavior or sexist attitudes or racism or, or mm. you know, decrying war and, and why would anyone go off and fight, you know? So it was, it yeah. was that uh, sort of, uh, you know, attitude. And then that was kind of mixed with my dad's working class background. He had kind of had that instinct of solidarity with other workers and supporting one another. And it mm. kind of was a perfect storm, really, to to get into socialism but we never talked about politics per se and actually it was only after my first election I sat down in the pub with my parents I was like Jesus who do you vote for and mom really? said Gail and I was like what <laughs> dad said she so I could understand at the time you know but um it was she's since actually both of them have joined people for profit and they're very mm. very supportive like but I, it, it, so it was I think it was it was Fina Gale she was voting because her family would have you know as many in Ireland too but you know, she's really moved away from them uh, since, uh, rightly so. <laughs> yeah, and and would there be a union, um, a conscious of unions, say, in the family as well? Would you say? So, yeah, Dad is actually a member. I can't remember the specific name, but the Independent Union of something. So he, they all work in healthcare at the moment. Yeah. And he, it's just gone from my head. But like, so even he he even is very critical of the trade union bureaucracy that you mm. know in the union he was in prior to this. I, I won't name because I just can't remember off the top of my head. But that you know very much there became a kind of layer of you know elected um, members who became very close to management and didn't want to rock the boat and weren't really out there fighting for for workers rights and I, I, you do sometimes see that within training you might have some great shop stewards with all the will in the world but there is a kind of elected uh, management that are on wages that are pretty particularly close to the management class they're meant to be uh, objecting to and now that is a systematic that's been worked in I think through two years kind of a reform is that we're trying to take away any edge to any movement so dad would have been a part of these unions and quite critical of that so it was very much in a sense from a young age recognizing that you need that level of solidarity and also kind of a the boss is never going to work in your favor <laughs> so did you find when you went to college like um I mean was it was it a political college it's Carlo isn't it and was there a sense of political activity people members of sort of political parties there or so the college we went to is actually it was Carlo College St Pat's and it was fantastic it, it's yeah. quite a liberal left humanities course that I did and there was one lecturer in particular and I blame her she came to the launch at the last and I said I'm here because of you <laughs> you know I mean it was but doctor she's a doctor now Sarah Arden was her name and she was, she was a fantastically passionate woman talking about yeah 
you know, feminism, capitalism. And even if you think about it, you know, it was my third year in third level education before feminism was ever discussed. Now, I know it's a bit more broader now, but even when I was in college, which was 10 years ago, I was known as the feminist. And there was another feminist in another course and everyone's like, oh, you have to meet each other. You know, it wasn't yeah. as quite uh, popular a notion as it is now. But I think it was uh, definitely her enthusiasm, her passion, but across the board. And do you know what? I did actually get a little like, um, and I, look, growing up kind of work class backgrounds, poverty or homelessness, uh, you know, at one stage in my family. And, all, you know, and then as I referred to kind of watching, you know, young men my own age commit suicide and mm. us feeling like we had no prospects and all that. Mm. So obviously it's, it's a harder life than um the the kind of upper class would endure but so then when I got into academia and I was saw all this theories about capitalism and socialism I was like so you knew all along <laughs> Do you know, I remember being frustrated I was like how have you given this to more knowledge to more people like and look, I, I do kind of understand now after I suppose you know failures in the kind of 60s and and the, you know Marxism didn't quite get to the heights mm-hmm. of the aspirations people had that many leftists went into academia and I, I I do get that but I do find a frustration that and even if you look at the more and more barriers coming into third level education how are people yeah. going to have confidence the knowledge the know-how yeah. and it's a very tricky system and I've seen that now on the inside being a counselor that you know what I mean there's traps everywhere you can fall into you have to know your system you have to know what you're fighting against and you have to know the tools to do that so when I saw academia had all these secrets <laughs> I said yeah. get it out to the masses what are you doing keeping it in between these walls I mean more people need to know this more people need to feel empowered and recognize have a bit of hope that there is actual possible change in the future you know and you weren't attracted to any other parties in the inter- before joining PVP. I, I really wasn't. Uh, people for yeah. profit onset were quite radical, quite grassroots, mm. very democratic. Yeah. Um, and so, look, I think as well because it was new, you're able to shape it. And I've been, you know, yeah. I, 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 you know, I was sitting on steering committee for a while, and you know, I, I and my best friend is doing it now, my comrade uh, Stephanie Handen from Kilkenny. Yeah. Um, so it, it's. In that sense, you're very, it's very much grassroots and you're very much kind of uh, able to have that voice, argue for the things that need arguing for and oppose stuff that needs, up, you know, if it does. But it, it, so people for profit from the onset, I think because they were new, they were radical and they were anti-capitalist from the onset. You know what I mean? Sinn Féin aren't really. And I think we know that we see, see what they're doing up north and sometimes they can talk left, but they don't often back that up. So, I, you know, I wouldn't want to be a party that I feel might sell you out down the road. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And and the other, the only other thought that strikes me just on that is was there anybody else organising at the time around? Um, no, there really wasn't. Like you know, and even so, when I ran in a by election, and I, so let's say, and I kind of mentioned yeah. how idealistic I was. I didn't actually really have a grounding of the political system because I never saw it as actually being an expression for change. You very mm. much see old men in suits. They've mm. never represented my ideas or anything. So I didn't actually think the political world would be the avenue to change things. I was going to go into journalism or do something. I knew I yeah. wanted to try and change the world, but I wasn't quite sure. So even when I ran in a by-election, like I had to do so much background, like how does this system work? How does it, you know, who is the local TD? Who is this or who is that? Because politics wasn't uh, seen as a game for working class people. Mm-hmm. And when I uh, announced, I was, I was working in hospitality, I was waitress in work. And so I was saying to everyone, I was like, oh, I'm going to run in a by-election. And they were like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you eat shit. <laughs> but um but again just how it it was not normal for ordinary people to be running in elections or to be doing Mm. very much a rich man's game 
So yeah. I kind of had to. So no, nobody else was really organising. I mean, look, Sinn Féin have had a pre- presence, but probably in the in the council and and you know in the doll, but not really on the streets. When when you got into like moving towards elections, like was there a part of you going, "Oh my God, what have I got into?" Or was it like took to it like a fish to water, so to speak? I mean, do you know what I mean? Because it's pretty daunting, and particularly when you're flying. I don't want to say the red flag per se, but in a way the red flag, you know, and you have to go out there and, you know, Ireland is a very conservative country in certain ways. How did you, like, what was the response like for a start? And were you, were you, did you feel it was a massive challenge or were you just like, okay, I'm just going to run with this and see how far it takes us? So I remember I got the call. So we were involved with People for Profit. And then it was uh, the National Secretary, Karen Allen, right? And it's like, oh, look, would you be interested? And I was like, yeah. Like, you know, I was full of gusto. I was fed up with these bloody Egypts, you know, yeah. uh, really irritated about the water charges. So I think I was so young, I didn't quite realise what I got myself into. No, no, and I mean that with all of But sometimes you need to have that naivety. Yeah, <laughs> and it actually, because it, it it is very daunting. I mean, especially, uh, as you said, to find that red flag, never been involved in politics in my life for a new political party that were still learning the ropes I mean it was a huge task at hand I'm, I'm glad I kind of had the rose tinted glass mm. it, it was a very it was a very difficult road if I'm honest so it put oh my god over the years so we had a by-election then we had a repeal election so every year and then we had um the repeal we were heavily involved with that yeah. then we had a local election and the euros which i went so it was year after year and i was exhausted and i i kid you not i would wake up night like what am i doing <laughs> you know it would just hit you and yeah. you would just panic and you whatever but you have to kind of stay the course i think and, and look that's i'm sure with a lot of people doing a lot of new ventures you get that fear like and it's full of self-doubt and in many ways i still am but because of that self-doubt i'm i make sure i do my job really well i i try and always put the best best foot forward you know did did the because you mentioned repeal there now i mean that came after the first the bile no sorry that came after your first election run didn't it yeah and did you see like a just how did you get involved in that in a sense i mean maybe that's how we should this, uh, the repeal campaign it was a fantastic moment in Irish history and yeah. I think so, people before profit were actually you now and I'm, I'm not tooting our own horn but I am also because we were the first on the road really or on the streets saying like this needs to change here so I remember we were like the first political party the first activist group and we were out on the street stalls and we, we still do them in Carlo with uh, leaflets you know about repeal the, and people are a lot of people are like what is the eight amendment I mean that was it, it was people really affected were aware of it but general population it was just kind of something that was pushed to the back of society and you'd only really take it out if you were a woman or or a pregnant person who was being affected so like we really were grassroots campaign and then it took arms and legs and it grew and huge wide circles took up the mantle so I'm not claiming we did this but I'm just saying I really feel particularly in Carlo anyway and Kilkenny it was us on the ground started the broad kind of united fronts then of bringing in different activists different political groups and leanings and and trying to focus our attention on on overthrowing this ridiculous amendment um and we did uh, but it was, yeah. it was a fantastic movement and as i said because we were small we were kind of consistently working maybe small groups for ourselves and then repeal just an explosion of activists i mean we couldn't keep up with the amount of, of, of people who were willing to get involved and who had enough. And I remember Amy McCann, you might probably know a bit more Angus B. Alwood, you know, he's a member of uh, People for Poverty, just retired for health reasons, but he was a very counsellor. You know, organised the bloody Sunday marshes, fantastic activist, brilliant man. But uh, I remember he was 
um, referencing something to do with the Russian Revolution. And he was referring to how, you know, a, a woman in Dublin and they were on strike. And uh, the, the reference now, this might be off the tr track a little bit, but he was kind of saying how this guy rode in after the Russian Revolution. They'd really overthrown the Tsar and whatever. And he was saying that, you know, everything felt different. Although it looked the same, it really felt different. And Eamon was kind of saying that he remembers, you know, a, a female striker and she, they'd won their strike and, you know, whatever, kind of taken their power to the streets. And she had the same kind of experience. And I remember a couple of days after the the repeal referendum, like, I mean, I had this phenomenal feeling and I, I would have wrote it off as being a bit hungover and a bit exhausted if it wasn't for the fact that I'd heard this reference. And I, yeah. I really felt that everything looked different, structurally yeah. the exact same, but looked different. And I think I realised it's like what had changed was how I interact with the world. So that was a huge amount of work. And often our labour is something that's used against us. As I said, I did bar work. So you're eight hours behind like this square of space. You can't leave until you ask somebody. It's draining. You get yeah. no money for it. It's exhausting. So your labour is something that's used against you. But what we did in that referendum was our labour actually changed the world. And it was mm -hmm. transformational. So I think the world changed because I interacted with it in a very different way. And it was just this incredible experience that... I think, you know, activists might have recognised if they'd kind of, you know, had, had that, that, um, that, that if they'd known the Russian Revolution theory or something, I'm not too sure. But it was just, it was a very interesting kind of phenomenon. And I think it just shows how powerful and impactful the repeal campaign was for, for activists, I include myself, you know. Did you, were you surprised by the outcome or was there a point where you said to yourself, okay, there's a phase shift, something is different here in Ireland from, I mean, you, I, I know... I know. I think I know. I think I know. I think I know what you're saying there about just the world was completely different the next day. It was amazing. Like, and um, I know, like talking to a lot of people of my generation, there was this sort of concern that it wouldn't pass. This, and I know, um, I was hearing from a lot of people I knew in their twenties and thirties at the time saying, "No, actually, this is going to pass." What was your feeling? What was your perception at that time? Like, was how things are going to go? And particularly, so, well, in the, sorry, particularly in the constituency, which was, uh, broadly speaking, more rural than urban, in a sense. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. And, and because we had, so Carla and Kilkenny are two very different kettles of fish as well. Carla was kind of a bit more working class, suffered mm. from a lot of loss of industry, whereas Kilkenny is a little bit more liberal, a little bit more middle class. So it was very different reactions in each area. And just something... I remember we were canvassing outside Kilkenny Cathedral, just as the houses around there, but it was this iconic spot. And next thing we just asked this old man, we said, oh, where is number six or seven or where is this to say? And next thing we saw our teachers, our badges, and just started roaring abuse at us, you know? And the reason it stuck in my head, because there was American tourists there. And I think for them, it was just like, what? Is, it was them probably, I, I'm very conscious of how they would have perceived it, like the modern versus the old conservative Ireland clashing directly. Mm the cathedral in Kilkenny you know, it was just a little bit one of those iconic moments but so you you definitely got a lot of abuse on doors I mean we had a when trans activists well it's holy is going to hell and that you know holy water is sprayed out no. so it was particularly anyone who was you know kind of any bit more vulnerable let's say yeah. really got the brunt of it and that was horrible and disgusting but at the same time, I remember kind of canvassing down the houses and it was very much because you did have to get it for yes, which, you know, was a kind of rather a little bit more liberal element in it. And, and we were kind of getting messages down um, that, you know, we need to soften the, the tone, you know, the language and say, right. you know, 
personal choice and it's uh, you know it's something that we should we kind of but it, people for profit then were very much no it's free safe legal like we were very much uh, like actually no fighting for the demands that we want whereas they were just trying to kind of soften that a little bit um and it was rejected even by the local group you're we saying no it's free safe legal and it was actually hearing that echoed back on the doors do you know what i mean really? yeah and it was it was not saying you know oh it's certain circumstances rape or fatal fetal it was like actually no it's a woman's choice isn't it like and like hearing that coming from working class communities i was like oh i think we have something and then it was right. the day of the vote when we were out and we were just you i don't think you can really campaign but you can tell people to get out and vote you know mm. once it's not near a polling station and uh, so we were doing that and oh I could tell then everyone was like yeah I'm giving you the wink and the nod you know what I mean and I was like oh we have this in the bag and I knew we'd won I knew we'd won by a, a certain amount then so we went down to the pub and we were very happy <laughs> on the way down <laughs> right. I mean of course you have a marriage equality referendum before us as well and I think that kind of paved the way in certain ways but it was an amazing achievement in and of itself and the ubiquity of the pro-choice outcome almost entirely across the whole of the state that that was that was quite something really you know historic it, it absolutely was I think same-sex marriage you're dead right it definitely paved the way and I think it allowed Ireland to see ourselves as something other than conservative yeah. you know, we're actually yeah. quite progressive we we are, have a lot of solidarity with you know any people in our community that are kind of minorities and I think that helped us a lot and then what repeal was for many uh, a different kettle of fish or trying to be perceived as stuff. like when you actually bring it back to the basics of what and the reality the actual reality of this and when people saw that I mean they were horrified and I think any decent or progressive person would of course recoil in horror uh, at, at what was being done to women and pregnant people under the aid amendment um, and look I know now there's the, actually the abortion uh, the ARC March for Choices this Saturday and they, of course, the Conservative government put in a few sort of, you know, little attachments when the country was saying free, safe, legal. They said, you know, three day waiting period, 12 yeah. week access and so on, which people didn't want. Even in the citizens assemblies, people did not want. Yeah. Um, so now kind of coming up to that review, the, the three year legislation review that they also incorporated, like we're really calling for those things to be scrapped and to just right. do with it and more accessibility i mean there's only about 20 30 percent of hospitals and doctors actually offering um yeah. access for various reasons but largely because i think the public health service has been very much underfunded for a long uh for a long time and we don't have safe access zones we had one uh doctors in greg namana and kilkenny offering it and they were picketed um, so I'm sure and I hope more doctors have come on stream since, but they cannot publicly say that either. So you could go to your doctor, you could be told, no, I'm sorry, I don't have it. But telemedicine, actually, if you look at the pandemic, um, that's something that hopefully will be kept on and should be kept on for, for to overcome those barriers and access, you know. That, that, that's a really interesting point, because, I mean, from what you're saying, it's very clear this is not something that is completed by any means. A hundred percent it's not. There, there's a lot of barriers between travel. That three-day waiting period is ridiculous. Yeah. Imagine if you're in a coercive or controlling relationship or you have to work or you yeah. have childcare. I mean, it needs to be scrapped. Women, we're not children. We don't need to be to be babied. We know our own minds. We know our own bodies. And we, we want to be the ones to decide our fate. We don't need a three-day waiting period. Like, it needs to go. And the 12-week access as well, even if you have a delay in access, let's say most women don't find out they're pregnant until they're six or eight weeks. But if you have a 24-hour delay, let's say you're right on that cusp of 12 weeks and then you're all of a sudden you're over that. I mean, it's ridiculous and it, it doesn't work when it's actually on the ground. Even here, one of the issues we had is that we don't actually have the doctors in Carlo 
don't actually have access to the ultrasound and equipment because the HSE uh, outsourced it to a private company to provide the ultra scanning uh, 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 machines. So, I mean, they're not even well, like the, the basics in terms of medical technology aren't there because it is kind of two tier health system, you know, that's that's shocking, actually. And frustrating because everything that we've done, it, you know, in terms like, I mean, there was people put their blood, te- sweat and tears into this. And, and it was really activist led. I mean, grassroots, bottom up. Um, we made our demands very, very clear. And the government have just been sneaky, disingenuous. And it's still hurting. Even there's a lot of issues, even with accessing fatal fetal abnormalities, trying to get yeah. that diagnosis. It's I think you need three medical professionals. They all have to agree, which is near impossible. You know what I mean? In, yeah. in, in that field, because it's so scientific and, and whichever. So, I mean, mm. there's still a lot of women with those diagnoses having to travel over. So a lot needs to be done. And I think it's important to keep the limelight on those issues until they get resolved. Do you think the momentum from the referendum is still there in terms of I mean, obviously, the referendum was about removing an illegality rather than necessarily provision. Do you think that momentum is still there or do you think that's dropped since yeah. as a result? Right? I really do. And that, that is a very good question. It's something I kind of pondered myself. But it was the National Maternity Hospital having that kind of whole debacle with the Sisters of Charity. Is it still sitting on the board or owning it? And, you know, whether will there be access? We went up to the protest, actually, and it was like hundreds of people and it was all repeal activists so there was still there's kind of a hardened layer of activists now who will never go back in our boxes and all the more better for that Um, so I actually still think that if there's a flashpoint I actually think the march on Saturday would be quite good as well considering what's happened in Texas seeing that kind of rollback on women's rights it's never enshrined uh, it's never guaranteed under a capitalist system anyways we always become the fallback I think and minorities and then women there's always going to be a war on women there's always going to be a war on men minorities uh, when we live under a capitalist system so uh, I really do think that um, those activists and you know you get a taste for it and you never want to put it back although it's hard it can be quite exhausting at times you know but when you start to realize your power and actually kind of recognize I can make a difference in my community in my town and in my country um, you you can't take that away from someone Um, so I do think there's still very much an appeal there amongst a lot of activists. The election was a, a game-changing election in some respects. People for profit did well, very well actually, and a lot of left independent TDs and others did okay. Sinn Fein obviously came out doing very well indeed. But I'm just curious, like, do you think that that was a function of that activism translated into a different sort of form? I, I, I really do. Yeah, I think. Um, but first and foremost, even if you look at the people who were elected within People Before Profit and probably mm. other left wing parties, I mean, we're activists. Like, I, I, mm. I recoil when people call me councillor. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's very much a sort of a term so people can feel good about themselves and get a little ego trip you know but like I consider myself an activist I know Paul Murphy Richard Breed they absolutely hate you know being deputies it's no we're, we're activists first and foremost so it gave a new layer I think of people who are willing to stand for elections and then I do think it it, it there was definitely a kind of raising of class consciousness as well where people who were involved in that activism I remember actually, as I said before, I was quite naive coming into politics a bit. So coming from kind of a small town like Carlow as well, you know, uh, you, you having a discussion about the role of the guardian in society, and I was like, no, like I know most of the guards, they're grand, you know, they've even let me off a few times when I haven't had my tax tax disc up, you know, they're fine. We go, I've seen them in the pub, and you know, whatever stuff like that. Um, or, or you might think like that, and then it was actually seeing the water charges, seeing the role of the guardian, and that they protect mm. the state. 
dragging kind of, you know, older working class women out of states. You know, there was definitely a lot of violence. The the student protesting, how the Guardi operated there. I mean, so when you're in the struggle, the, I suppose, conflict within the system becomes very apparent and you can't ignore it then. So it's not about just rhetoric or me saying, you know, um, oh, the Guardi are, are bodyguards of the state. And whether you choose to believe that or not, you know, at the time there was always these attempts to try and say, oh, we're the lonely left and you can't trust them or whatever. And it was actually people said, no, they're right. You know, I've seen I've seen the cops beating <laughs> that, that woman because she didn't want to privatise water systems. You know what I mean? So it was true activism. Uh, I think people got a fresher, more realistic understanding of, of the, the complicated system of capitalism. Just on the water camp charges campaign, that like that was a huge defining moment in a different way. Like repeal seems to have been very defining to. In, well, actually, in fact, actually, I think I think actually what you're saying implicitly is like all these things with these uh, radicalizing impacts right the way across the the 2010s right up to the present day but with border charges did you feel there was anything specific about that that was different in character to the the other campaigns you've been involved in or do you think uh, there were similarities or uh, how do you feel about water charges in that sense and yeah that, that's a very good question for and i mean there was different demographics and pause i think the water charge was a lot more of a working class organic mm. protest you know it kind of it was people organising in their estates and coming together and pushing up barriers and stopping the Gardaí. So, I mean, which is like hard to do as well, if you think about it. I mean, you're coming up with a, a serious authority in, in the state and you can be arrested, you can be beaten. I mean, so it really took, you know, a lot of courage from these people who got out and actually just said, no, enough is enough. You've, you've taken too much. Not again, not anymore. And then if you look at kind of repeal, I think the body was maybe younger women uh, who were kind of getting into politics first time because it, it specifically would have affected them. Um, kind of more students as well, maybe more people from academia, kind of more working and middle class. So it was definitely two different demographics um, on each uh, on each protest and on, on each kind of radicalization but it does show you that I suppose as you said there more people are getting radicalized you know from different quarters of society there's more people you know who would be kind of let's say middle class might be feeling a bit better off than you know the average working class Joe but then all of a sudden they're seeing well actually this is a very oppressive system like you know uh, yeah and it's very conservative and this doesn't meet my needs either so uh, our, our kind of rate they themselves to to the repeal campaign or the campaigns are are kind of um, questioning this system and, and the merits of capitalism I suppose. Do, do you find like um, engaging with that conservatism both small c and large c as somebody who's now a representative a local representative but also as a representative of PVP, have you found like people, I mean, one of the problems on the left, I think you mentioned it yourself, like earlier, there's this sense of like the loony left, that because we're left wingers, it's pie in the sky and it's unattainable and all the rest of it. And have you found that to be a daily kind of thing where you're going out and you're having to sort of be both a representative of PVP, a representative of PVP on the local council, but also in a sense beyond that trying to say hold on a second what we're, what we're okay we want the whole wide world but the way we want it is attainable and and like is that a sort of layered kind of challenge for you as it is you know, how, or, or do you find people are actually quite the opposite they're actually very open to the message that's yeah i think that's a very good question and i think if you look so as i said 
campaign in five, six years and in different elections. So at the start, it was definitely much thrown at you. Oh, you're the lonely left or loony left or you're radical and, you know, all this stuff. And I remember being in a debate for the Euros and they were telling me, like, you're too radical, you're too extreme, you know, the right wingers. And I said, like, at that moment in time, the genuine was the case where my friend was experiencing homelessness and was in a shelter for her three kids. I said, it is not radical ask for a home for her and you know to expect it so they really had to stop and we are radical like we own that like I am radical this is not a radical demand housing it but it just shows you how far in the right wing side of things we are that to call for that uh, it was considered radical or extreme by them so we were very very quickly able to do those sort of uh, claims uh, like we were asking for the bare minimum <laughs> don't don't try and dramatize it and then I think the it, we've actually made it so much more easy to talk about socialism, to talk about system change, particularly in the face of climate disaster. That, you know, I, as I was saying, was kind of on a radio earlier, and like it, I can really say, like, you know, we need a socialist world. We need, we need systematic transformational change. We need to uh, really kind of look at, at how private property, vacant private property, just in particular, was on this issue, is given more rights and more protection than the people on the housing list. So these are actually quite radical socialist ideas. It's the same. Uh, I think with the new Garda powers, when that was coming up a few months ago, actually being able to really portray a Marxist understanding of the world in understandable terms, you know, that's accessible to a lot of people and they actually relate to that. So I think things have definitely changed. They try to make it look like, you know, or try to make it look undermine us. And actually we found a home that really resonates with our with our demand. So it's actually become easier to be more openly radical. And I love that. And it's, it's definitely to be welcomed, you know. I wonder, just on the on the back of that, how you, um, you know, it's always a perennial question for left organisations, how you balance activism and, and electoralism. And have you, it sounds like you haven't found that electoralism has required taking a softer tone or is that, is that something that's sort of consciously been decided within people for profit? Is it how individuals are responding or how would you see yeah. that balance? Brilliant question. I, I think you're dead right because a lot of left wing or traditional left wing parties in Ireland, if you look at Labour, you know, got into the politics and just got soft. You know, it was definitely a conscious decision to continue to remain radical, to remain uh, uh, with an activist base and a street presence. And I think that's been absolutely essential. Like, I have no doubt as well, like, you know, I'll be very open about when I first became a, a councillor and like on my own as well. Do you know what I mean? And like, 16 other conservative males one other conservative woman you know and it is daunting by all means and so something we've been very passionately campaigning for in Carla was a women's refuge because we saw that surge in domestic violence we don't actually have any women's refuge in Carlo, they've traveled to Kilkenny and so on and so forth but I remember then one of the, the Fine Gael counsellors he was saying oh look ring me ring me ring me and he was saying like do you know if you don't vote for this thing you know we will we'll give you a position which is like you get six grand a year so it's like you know horse trading these chair positions right mm-hmm. trying to brag me and then he's like we'll make sure that women's refuge happens we'll make sure it happens and then I was like kind of panicked and I, I rang like you know some of my comrades I was like what do I do and they said the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions you know what I mean and they did that like it was really sneaky now looking back is that they they took things I was passionate about were like dangled it in a card it's like you sell your soul mm-hmm you know so I, I it's it genuinely is very tricky to navigate at times because you want the best for for your community and you want to fight for it but we have to recognize that um this system 
will pull you in and it will it will devour your politics so you have to remain on the outside critical and the thing is as well is like we're actually making great leaps with our campaign for women's refuge by staying on the streets by continuing that public pressure so i didn't have to sell my soul um we still got that radical voice and i do think it's very important as well that we do keep the demands radical and get people to kind of up their expectations about what they should expect in this life and you know uh, housing decent healthcare, and you know a planet we can all live in is the bare menu as i said and we should be calling for those very loudly do you find that you know lo- local politics council and as a councillor like the structures are there to, in a sense, suppress that radicalism you're talking about from the get-go. I mean, not just, as you say there, somebody dangling something in front of you, but like uh, to try, but, you know, like just the sheer structural aspect of it, because you were talking about the union bureaucracy, and I think many of us would agree with, you know, there's huge problems in that respect, but in local government, it seems to be. I, I really agree with that statement. And it's actually a very good comparison, I think, between the trade union bureaucracy and how, like, and, and that's why I'd really recommend kind of being a part of a left-wing radical party. I think I've seen, you know, independents that might go in with the best intention, but if you don't have someone you can bounce your concerns off, if you don't have kind of maybe a Marxist or socialist understanding of the system, it will bring you in, like, and, it, and subsume you and kind of your politics with it. So I do think, I mean, even if you look at it, so we go in, we meet twice a month um, and like that's all some councillors do is kind of come into these meetings. They've been, they didn't even meet during the first pandemic. I had to fight tooth and nail to just get a briefing about what was going on in our community. And then it becomes a case of, uh, so you can meet for those two hours is all it is now. And you don't really have to do anything again. You actually get a chair position. So you meet every six months, you get an extra stand on your wage for chairing a meeting on, you know, a subcommittee on environment or whatever it may be. Like, so it really becomes a very cozy club if you want it to be. And I, a lot of people, uh, a lot of the, the councillors out there use it. And then if you look at the, um, if you look at the, documentary during the summer where you had uh, councillors claiming double wage or double expenses from different uh, uh, you know sources you could be on one board and this board and if you travel somewhere and they're claiming gold or you know so it becomes this, uh, this very easy way when you know how to work the system you can actually come out uh, a bit more in your pocket than when you a lot more in your pocket than when you went in and there's nothing to stop that there's no kind of system change system overhaul it very much is a cozy club um, and it would it would make you lazy I think for us, again, it's, it's the focus is on radical uh, activism. And it is like even when I get a lot of casework, a, a huge amount of it is housing. It can be very draining because you're hearing people in their worst circumstances, you know, um, and, and you're in a system where there's actually very little I can do as a counsellor. I can put a rep for you, but there's very little houses. They're not building. But then what we try and do is like talking to these people and like, well, come out on the streets. We had a rally last Saturday. There's not people out and about. And you actually feel a bit better about your situation. You're not isolated. You're not goes off in the world you know there's a bit of hope because there's other people out here with you as well and I think that's very important is what we do we don't just do clientelism okay I'll do that for you I'll look after we actually say you're going to be the agency of change in your life so uh, come join us on this picket uh, come sign this petition not everyone wants to stand on a picket but do something uh, yourself and we will try and support you in that um, in that battle I suppose you know. Did you think going into it that you understood what what powers were available to you or how limited they would be? Because we've spoken to a few councillors who've kind of gone in and said, oh, right, there's actually very little I can do here in the terms of like actual legal powers or, you know. Yeah, that's, and that's a very good question. Um, I suppose I was actually very aware of how little you could do. I think I've always kind of been very big political ideas. Like, so, I mean, I was going mm. in a kind of national, international ideas. And then, you know, I, I sort of fine-tuned it and started to kind of recognise, you know, 
change happens on your streets locally and pick up the issues that you know are important to the people here and you know that's you kind of affect change so I was kind of going into it aware of how limited the powers would be but in some sense um it's giving us it's how you use it as well it's that the fact now is like I ask questions they have to answer them and you know so then I can use that information for campaigning instead of just sitting on that information so you you are limited there is stuff you can do like that does matter in terms of making reps for people for housing do you know what I mean it's like well, hammer them hard and some issues like but really bad cases do you know and, and they will not ignore it you know they, they can't threaten legal action or threaten to occupy the building and we've done it before but they know we're not you know we're not messing either like and I think that's important is that I'll always play the wild card if things are getting really severe for for look you can't do it every single time you know what I mean because it just might not fit but in terms of a lot of cases to be honest with you that there's you know there's one just off the top of my head um one family and they were half house so private landlord getting public money and it was totally substandard I mean black mold on the on the walls the family were expecting a baby they were buying kind of new baby grows and stuff and, and the black mold was growing on the stuff I mean really really disgusting um uh, situation to be living in and the council were just so slow to bloody relax like and it was very much a case it's like one I'll try and legal action two we're going to go to press this tree we will occupy the council buildings like this needs to get resolved because they will ignore it and ignore it and ignore it so it's it's the fact and the thing is as well it's like you kind of have a, a platform now so they can't ignore you as easily but yes you, you do have a lot more less you're, you're limited uh, in terms of what change you can actually do via the council but if you kind of have a council versus and the street combination or street politics combination it can be effective at times not always unfortunately but at times it can be you're one of two uh women councillors on the council i think is that correct and so the gender balance is and this is in no way you know being unkind about your male um, colleagues but the gender balance seems terribly skewed and then there's the age balance and and then if you look at the political balance on the council um what is it there's one or two labor and one Sinn Féin and yourself and you could say that okay however one regards Sinn Féin and labor in terms of their position on the political spectrum everybody else is of the right and the, and and how is it to work in that kind of a context? And Do you know what? And I think as well, it doesn't actually represent Irish society at all. Do you know what I mean? If I, like, I mean, there is a lot more kind of progressive ideas in Irish society at, at large than there is in these institutions, these political institutes. But they have it worked such a way that they keep getting themselves elected. Because look, not, not enough working class people are into politics. I think that's a, a lot. It's changing, but we could definitely do it more candidates across the board, you know. But do you know what? It was very hard during lockdown. And I was saying that because usually, like, I mean, I go in, I'm all going to base and I don't mind because I'm out on the streets, I'm talking to people and, you know, I'm getting their frustrations too. And, you know, it, it, and, and I suppose the reassurement as well from the community, do you know what I mean? Whereas when you go in there, it's an echo chamber and like you're a minority voice and they shout over you, they belittle you, they pull you, I mean, they're any little tactic. And, and to be honest, I love it when they do because I know I have them well then. So I'm like, right. people, like, which, um, but it was hard during lockdown because you you're, you were definitely isolated. Like, I mean, I got into politics because of people power, community activism, and all that was stripped away. And I was just left with the ugly face of the right wing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That I had to constantly, like, find the kind of, 
honestly the, the strength because again you're also getting that casework you know hearing people's really bad situations it was, it's draining and, and your own everyone I hate lockdown anyway it just wasn't suited to it at all <laughs> so I mean it was an uphill battle during lockdown because you know all the fun stuff of politics was stripped away and it, it was just kind of the council but we, we kept that done we definitely were uh, you know uh, making a dent in them being a torn in, in their side and they were not used to it they were totally unexpected uh, they really thought I think we'd be a bit of a soft foot for another kind of labor and we go soft on them but like it's been and they're they're getting a little bit better now but I mean we caught them on the hop for the first year and a half and it, it, they didn't see it coming and I really enjoyed it uh like it, it's it like it was just good to see it was like I remember actually one of my best moments in politics was uh, probably the first election campaign and uh, we had I was only waitressing at the time and we had a debate in the local KCLR FM studio and we had a bit of dirt on one of the Fianna Fáil TDs, you know, again, as I said about claiming expenses, overclaiming expenses, he put in for a hotel stay when he wasn't even in the country, he's in Brussels. So we had evidence of this. The next thing we were just here, like, again, only a waitress in my 20s, never done politics. We were just flinging this muck at these guys and it was sticking. And all, you know, they couldn't defend themselves. There was nothing they could say. And it was just really, it just goes to show, just if you have uh, the confidence, you know what I mean? And you have the it kind of... It's, yeah the confidence to believe you can actually make a change it, it really makes a difference and these people are kind of used to expecting us as a working class kind of community not to you know you get the message you kind of have your place I remember actually fair enough slight tangent but I went on this sort of women for election thing it was a very good thing but it was all middle class women okay mm. Um, you know, I had to pay 300 euros and then the rest was a scholarship. You know, I was the poor kid at this event, you know, by all means. Now, it was good because I actually got some like media training and different kind of interest stuff that our party just didn't have the infrastructure to provide at the time. We do now, by all means, this is years ago. And um, I remember coming back, uh, all the girls, all, all the other kind of female election candidates took me, had these incredible jobs, like, you know, accounting, and they're all my age and doing all this great money and sitting down and a nice kind of handy job where I break my ass for 10 euros and I'm not even 9.50 an hour kind of working nights and days and you know serving pints and dinners and all that I remember coming back and I was like doing a google search I was like how where do these jobs exist and my mind was rattled and my friend said to me well it's until you know Adrienne like you don't know how to get into these into these industries you know you're you're very much a, a lay person uh, and it really was again just kind of brought that class and that, you know, how they and um, my experience of, of working life was very very different and that I had a role to play and it was very hard to actually get out of, of the kind of um, shift work or, or, or that type of yeah. labor they kind of had the privileged positions with a bit more money you know it's just an interesting you know, it's, it's difficult for working class people to get in in any numbers into the into I mean, you said it yourself, like, you know, you've got shifts, you've got this, you've got that, you've got working lives, which predicate against people being able physically to get the time to go and get involved. And and that skews everything. Yeah, that, and that is so true. And I think and very, very important. I mean, if you have children and you don't have childcare, if you're trying to run a home, if you're trying to work on top of this, you're trying to do your studies, it, like you physically are exhausted, emotionally, mentally, you don't always have the energy. And so we, we'd have a, a high membership of statistically increasing and always on the phone to ground with them and say, the door is always open. I said, your life is going to get busy, but come back in six months if you have a little break, drop into a meeting. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we recognize that to try and actually, it, it's an extra barrier to even become an activist because our lives are, are so busy and, and full of kind of hard work. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's a very... Did you find, I mean, you're saying about on the council side, did you find 
the pandemic, and you, and you're saying how you, lockdown wasn't for you, it wasn't for most of us, I think. But I mean, did you find that uh, politically, the last twelve to eighteen months just took a complete slump in terms of, like, you know, I think it was, I think it was, and this is just my personal opinion. So I'm just curious, like, what your feeling is about this. I think it certainly impacted on the left i don't think injuriously but I, I'm, I'm curious as to what your feeling is about that like that 18 month period you know positives or negatives that came out of it or 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 where are we now i mean what do you think so uh, so i kind of the dual experience of working for people for profit as well mm. i'm a part of organizer in and across yeah. the southeast you know so even when the first pandemic came i was like oh job like we're going to get a bit of a break and then they're like no move online let's like they can't i was like <laughs> take a bit of time off you know because i did think it was only kind of going to be a couple of weeks or something mm. but we were very driven activist core in, in 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 that party so there was no way that was going to happen so it was we actually adapted very well i would say like it was move online we kind of started our zoom meetings that we still kind of have a hybrid approach to um and then we'd have like it was a lot easier to get guest speakers down so we could actually kind of develop our, our political theory and you know marks and the metabolic rift or you know uh, trade union bureaucracy or whatever it may be and then i suppose we did try and kind of have like an online presence of online meetings on on certain topics and, and definitely kept it up but i, I it, it was just actually readjusting back into the real world activism just took a little bit of work i think at first people were a bit nervous which is understandable and then it people are a bit more confident now i think with the vaccine and, and yeah. the on that but uh, it, it was just it we i think we actually managed that very well uh, you know as a, as a political party because I do know a lot of others just they just stopped and kind of stopped meeting but I think we're, we're, we're very much uh, focused and, and we do want to kind of see the change we need sooner rather than later so I didn't get any break. And do you think like now I mean do you think there's been a time of consolidation for the right the last 18 months or do you think like we're now in a, I mean I guess I mean do you think like at the moment there's there's an opportunity now in a sense and I don't mean in any sense an opportunistic sort of thing but I mean in the sense that now things are calming down okay it's gone back to something approximating normal though it's not normal do you think I mean what's your feeling about what the left I mean it's unfair to put this on you but in the sense of what's the next step where, where do we go next because there seem to be very uh, there are specific challenges you think that now have to be addressed immediately or what's your feeling and so I think uh, coming out of this, it's, it's interesting because I'm even starting to see that the right wing are making more concessions for workers. They're talking about the bonus payment, bank holidays, which was actually a people for profit bill during the summer. We said to try and get three. Just 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 putting that out there. Yeah. <laughs> that they are actually starting to try and make concessions where they can. They're, look, the system, the capitalist system and even their their relationship with developers, they're very much tied to the private market when it comes to housing. So they, they will not be able to, even by the rules of their of their own system, they're not going to make any uh, great difference to people on housing. So I think they're ha- we're going to hammer them on that. Uh, I think it, we're going to hammer them on climate change as well. I mean, there's no way actually Breed's made it as a, a bill on Thursday uh, Thursday coming that uh, uh, to stop the expansion of data centers to stop uh, LNGs and to stop kind of new infrastructure for fossil fuel industry really radical measures that are 100% needed if you want to challenge climate change but I know the, the right wing will never be able to make any concessions on that because again capitalism and climate change go hand in hand you know we're a finite uh, uh, planet and yeah capitalism wants infinite growth and the, the two are inherently incompatible so like 100% I think the we have them on that. But I do think the right wing are trying to make concessions when it comes to maybe I think it's a bit 
a little bit of an increase in welfare as well because people have high expectations because the PUP payment was a lot better than you know the job seekers payments and mm. a little bit easier for people to, to support or manage to live on um, so I think they are in some ways trying to take the sting out and I, they're very much aware that the left are growing um, uh, and that has been a, a colossal shift in Irish attitudes across the world. So they are trying to make some concessions. There's some things they can't move on uh, where people who are bothered on the left-wing parties have, have very good solutions um, for. So I think we still have them in a corner and that's great. Right. <laughs> that's, in there. that's fantastic. Do you think... Um... I mean, this the this is the other side of it. Uh, obviously, like the right and the far right use this opportunity. And I mean, did you have direct experience of that yourself, or did you do you think that that's like an uh, something that's they're going to expand that space, or do you think that's something that's constrained by the nature of the pandemic beginning to ease a bit? Well, at least in this part of the world. I mean, we haven't even. I mean, there's global south, which is it's shocking what's going on elsewhere and how that's not being addressed, but. I mean, just taking it back to Ireland, like for a second, what's your feeling there? I mean, because the far right certainly was trying to make the running for a while. and Absolutely. And I think it look, I mean, it was scary to see in a sense. But we had a bit of a conundrum ourselves in terms of the far right. We're getting out and mobilizing. And, you know, look, as socialists, we never want to, to, you know, let the far right take the streets and the fascists take the streets. And yet at the same time, we we're in a global pandemic and we couldn't, you know, meet, you know, for public health reasons and all this. So, I mean, there was such debate on, like, how do we respond to this? And I think it, it actually came together very, uh, if you look at the Black Lives Matter rallies in Dublin and Belfast and kind of, you know, some of them were in the height of the pandemic as well. And the fact that they were all done socially distanced and in a safe manner meant that we should still actually you know, we yeah. have to take the streets and we have to do it safely. The far yeah. right are congregating hundreds without masks. You know, they're really flouting public health rules for their own selfish and, and nefarious hidden agenda reasons as well. But um, that we had to keep this, keep a presence on the streets by all means and then ideologically battle them um, in terms of like, you know, especially I think one of the slogans we came up with was anti-mask is anti-worker, you know. So we saw a surge in in kind of support for those on the front line and then we were saying look by not wearing your mask you're putting these people at risk these are the the you know the struggles they've had to endure keeping you all safe so it, there was a, a ideological battle and then so we actually were involved with setting up the Kayla which would be this kind of broad anti-fascist group so you know we have United Against Racism which does great work I think in the community and then Michaela is um, uh, specifically anti-fascist and again my, my comrade Stephanie Hannon in Kilkenny did Trojan work trying to get this uh, built up and you so many different groups uh, involved in it and then they've started having rallies that are you know putting the, the anti-fascist on blast and making sure that there is presence there um, yeah. that is progressive like so I am cautious of their growth. Uh, I definitely don't want to overwrite them or give them too much courage. I think yeah. they're, they have so many internal issues that as well. They keep blowing up and splitting and, and, yeah. and you know, they're not very well organized. But I will note that they, I think, during as well, they've started to target maybe what might be traditionally known as their base, you know, the petty bourgeoisie, the kind of small middle class. And I didn't see in Warford, for instance, they were targeting... Um, the pub owners who were obviously disgruntled not being able to open during the lockdown so I think I was like well look they might be learning do you know what I mean a little bit who their potential base might be but I think at the same time we've been made not sure not to exclude uh, those issues obviously look we are very much kind of for you know the, the working class but at the same time you can get support in, in in those circles and we shouldn't 
my opinion is anyway that we shouldn't poo poo that because if we do then the then the far right will be there to to pick that base up you know yeah absolutely did funny enough was that Dolores Kyle who was behind you on the Euros yes that was Aha. yeah oh, <laughs> on a walk. yeah yeah, oh, that was very important for us. I tell you, that election, we were absolutely exhausted. We two mm. locals uh, and the Europeans, so it was crazy, crazy time. But, like, I mean, both of us make sure we were ahead of the far right, and we did. And, and that's super. And, like, I mean, again, as I said, like, I mean, my time was to between Carlo, Kenny, and then trying to do a European election. Like, yeah. So, the, and we don't post as we don't <laughs> as most left-wing parties don't, you know. I suppose you sort of uh, answered this somewhat already but one thing about being on the council like are you isolated as a, as a left person in there or are there sort of individual very specific issues where you can usefully work with with the other councillors or is that or so, is that just not the case or? no it uh, so there is look i mean there's some kind of fluff stuff which i actually like do you know what i mean in terms of i mean there's a, a kind of uh, arts walls you know supporting kind of these spaces for young people there's you know we're, we're kind of there was a, a, a late senator who did you know a lot of good work on the, the sugar factory that Carlos very well known for but leading the strikers out there so we've been in touch with, with his family actually Paddy Berg and Patrick Berg and he was in he's a Hollywood actor he was in Sleep with the enemy years ago and that's his son so like we're, we're dedicating a bench to him uh the his father and getting him down and hopefully having a kind of a nice event that celebrates kind of Carlos rich political history and stuff like that and you'll get support across mm-hmm. parts for stuff like that you know and then I suppose in there there's one independent who's an action fan so he'd be still kind of left wing you have the Shinner and then you have two Labour and do you know what I find interesting is that look, we know Labour but we know exactly you know their politics and, and they're not exactly radical anymore but we have actually been able to unite the left uh, to some degree in terms of or make them push them into being a little bit more radical anyway even when it comes to the local property tax you know there's always a debate every year and, and some of the labour might be like oh let's just settle for no increase and I was like no 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 15% reduction you know that's the power we do have as any local authority you know and, and making the political arguments how it's progressive tax and so on and so forth and then they will support those calls so I mean in some sense you're able to look you know, they read the room too. They know the left is on the rise and they are trying to kind of, you know, attach themselves to, to kind of radical parties once again to kind of remain popular. But um, so, but I like that aspect of it as well. But look, you're right. You're definitely, I mean, you're ganged up on in there as well. They're just sitting around you sometimes. You can feel a bitch and talk to about them. You know what I mean? But look, that's a part of the job, uh, I, I think, as a left-wing candidate. And I, I leave it when I go out uh, the door. I, I, I leave them behind. and uh, We take our politics back to the street where we're kind of most at home, you know? you think and it's funny because that's interesting as well because what you're saying there if you if you expand that out a little bit say to people before profit in the last 12 months uh the rise network has gone in paul murphy and it seems almost to be a consolidating force on the left and what you're saying there about it having a, an impact in terms of as you say they read the room the others read the room they see what's happening and would you say like pvp is has some of that function in the doll as well and then you know or 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 potentially can have that effect inside the doll well i i do think so i think the the rise uh coming and joining people for profit is definitely something to be welcomed and i think mm. they've done it on very good grounds and merits and true mm. genuine debate you know and i think even if you look at our our alliance with the solidarity party i think it's very important i mean look 
the political, uh, like uh, left-wing activists are very principled. So when we have a position, we tend to stick to it. We don't like to kind of budge or give or take. But people from profit are really very much kind of advocates of broad churches, of working together, of finding where we can actually, uh, you know, agree and focusing on that. So I do think we have had that. I do think we've had a good effect in uniting the left. And even when it came to the last election, I mean, it was us putting serious pressure on Sinn Féin to engage in talks about the prospects of a left government. Let's yeah. see what the start. Let's see what we can do. Now, we didn't just say, oh, there's no point in working with Sinn Féin because, you know, we yeah. do know their, their political understanding, but we also know that they have a base in working class uh, communities and that we want to reach that base. We don't want people to be isolated or alienated. And if there's a, a, a chance to improve, to genuinely improve the, the, the lives of, of the majority of people working middle class, you know, uh, the majority of people who are not the capitalist class um, for a change, then we should we should take that opportunity as well, whilst maintaining um, sharp criticism of capitalism and being awareness of the nature of the state and the nature of local government and how they will. Um, it, it's not necessarily an agency for change. Um, you, you can probably do more uh, out on the street with mass and something I think people for profit really advocate for and if we do have a left government in the next election is mass mobilizations it's none of this you know vote for me and I'll do it for you it's actually coming out having your voices heard on the street keeping that public pressure and that's how we're going to kind of ultimately I think have uh, the be able to break away from the structure of capitalism is by just having that mass people power uh, uh, protest out on the street and look hopefully it's a future that's that's actually uh, around the corner because if you look at the looming climate disaster, it's absolutely terrifying. Um, it, it genuinely is, and if we don't have that radical change anytime soon, I, I'm I'm worried about the 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 state of the future of our lives. Everything is going to change, so we genuinely need more people to get involved in activism, more people to stand uh, for uh, election, uh, but to do it on, a, on an anti-capitalist platform and and really encourage people in their community to be the drivers of change because it's going to be a very bleak world otherwise.